welcome Willow Park Church. We're so happy you're joining us this week from wherever you are. Uh, we are going to play some songs and rejoice together. Our first song is God of Our Salvation. And it says, come and see his glory. Come just as you are. Come and hear the story of his heart. And that's what we want to do when we worship, is concentrate on who Jesus is and why he makes such a difference to our lives. The second verse says, come you tired and weary. Come just as you are. Come and let his mercy heal your heart. And I really want uh, us to spend some time thinking of how tired and weary we get sometimes, especially during COVID. But God is still there and his mercy heals our heart and carries us through. Yeah. 
Amen. And because God is he who he is, we can look to him and not be overwhelmed by what's going on outside, what's going on in our work, what's going on in our family, what's going on in the country, in the world. And this is a prayer about asking God to give us his vision, his wisdom, to see what he sees so that we remember that he is in control and that we can look to him.
Just like the sunshine, you have been our life, leading us into beautiful places. Father, we thank you that that is the truth. That as Psalm 23 says, you lead us in quiet waters, in green pastures, to lead us in paths of righteousness. That even when we're through going through the valley of the shadow of death, that your rod and your staff comfort us. God, we are so grateful that you are constant, that you never change, that you say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we are grateful for your goodness. Amen. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell services, welcome and here's your family news. Dwell gatherings are small in-person services that happen every Sunday at three of our locations. If you are hoping to attend next week, we would like to let you know that we have made a little change to the registration process. Registration now opens every Sunday at 12 p.m. for the following weekend. Reserve your seat today at willowparkchurch.com dwell. Did you know that we have a special group on Facebook for Willow Park Church families? Every week, we post fun family challenges, craft time videos, family devotions, and more. Check it out at facebook.com groups WPC families. Willow Park Church in Lake Country will be putting on their 11th annual back-to-school giveaway next Sunday, August 30th. Please be in prayer for this event where we will be giving away brand new backpacks, lunch kits, clothing, and more to families in need in Lake Country. If you'd like to know more about this event and how you can help, visit willowparkchurch.com slash backtoschool. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Uh, let's we can go live now, Drew. And um, it's, uh, it's good morning, everybody who is joining us online. It's so good to see you. This is our 11 a.m. service, and you may be watching this in the week as well. And we're so grateful that you have decided to to join us online as we're continuing our series in Psalms 23, just a powerful psalm, which I'll get to in just a second. If you are watching online and you are normally part of coming on a Sunday morning to Willapart Church. Can I encourage you to do that? Honestly, I, 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 if you are going shopping, if you're going to a restaurant, you can come to church. I promise you the protocol and, the, and the, uh, the cleanliness and all the systems that we've got in place are absolutely brilliant. And when I go out and about and the staff go out and about and we see what else is going on, honestly, we've got this thing nailed down in terms of doing things right. And we've got a room full 
uh, this morning at 11 a.m. So you can actually, and this is news to everybody in the room as well, you can now uh, register your slot from 12 o'clock on Sunday. You don't have to wait till Tuesday, so you can do it before you leave if you want to. But if you're watching online and you're umming and ahhing about whether or coming, if you're going out of the house, restaurant, or school, or going to the shops, you, honestly, you can come to church. Come and try it out, and uh, we'll promise you have a wonderful time. Um, okay, you ready for Psalm 23? Okay, that's six of us in the room. I am. So uh, let's, let's jump in. I think they might be thinking that I'm lying, that there's a room full. So can we just say hello to everybody online? Hello. There you go. See, that wasn't awkward at all. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into Psalm 23. Uh, this has been a wonderful uh, kind of journey. We've got, this is, uh, we've got two more weeks after this. Uh, Luke is speaking next week, and, uh, which will be great. And this really leads into what Luke is, uh, is going to be sharing with us next week. But I want to just, with no, interruption, uh, no introduction at all, I'm just going to read and work through the first part of this psalm. And I'll pause as we go. And then we're jumping into what could be arguably considered the most famous verse outside of John 3.16, because you see that on the football games uh, in, in the whole Bible, which is verse 4. But we'll get there in just a second. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything, David is saying, because the Lord, the I am, is my shepherd. He's my companion. He's right here. He knows my, my comings and goings. I, I don't need anything else, is what David is saying, which is pretty amazing in itself. And we looked at that in the first week. And all these messages you can find online uh, on our website, uh, willapartchurch.com, and then you can go to the media and they're all there. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So you can connect, and we looked at this in the first, uh, in the first week, you can connect Psalm 23 to John 10, which is where Jesus is talking about himself being the good shepherd, and that he, those that hear his voice follow him, and you can connect the two passages really nicely. So the, the he that we're reading about here, it can be read Jesus, that Jesus leads us into uh, good pastures and paths of righteousness and still waters. And we looked at the second week, we talked about soul rest. Not just rest that you get by the campfire, but deep soul rest, regardless of what's happening around you in your circumstances, that your soul can be at rest. And that is a, a beautiful thing in itself. I'm going quickly here because I want to get to where we're, where we're landing this week. He leads me behind still waters. He restores my soul. There's that soul rest. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So last week we looked at how do you know that you are doing what God is asking you to do in life. In those day-to-day decisions, in the big decisions, how do you know for sure that you are following righteous paths? That's a big question, especially in our day and age where we want to try and control our future. How do we know that we're going along the right way? And that's where we jumped into paths of righteousness. We looked at what the word righteous means in this context, and it really sets us up well for this next verse This is the famous verse of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just a classic verse. This verse is often used just before somebody passes away. And and that's very appropriate. But this verse is as appropriate to you and me 
regardless of whether we're close to dying, regardless of your age, we've got a number of young people in the room. This is a vital passage. We've got shadows. We've got death. We've got evil. We've got, uh, we've got all these kind of great words that just make you feel glad that you're in church. So we're going to study evil, death, and shadows uh, this morning. What does that have to do? Like if you're 10 years old or if you're at the other end of the spectrum of life, what's this verse actually saying? So first of all, let's talk about what David is talking about when he says the valley of the shadow of death. This is an actual place. The historians tell us that there's a place uh, in Israel um, and this is, the, this is the valley likely that David was referring to. And it's, it's called Wadi Kelt. And I don't know if I've said that with the best Hebrew slash British accent. Uh, but the Wadi Kelt, it literally means ravine or gorge. Look at that place. I mean, it's just a, it's a phenomenal place to look at. Likely this is a church because any kind of holy site in Israel, I've never been. I hope to go one day. My understanding is any holy site, they've just slapped a church on it, and, uh, and, and that's, that's right there in the, in the middle. But if you look really carefully, you're unlikely to be able to see it from where you are. There's a path that goes in the center, and you can see the shadow. So depending on the time of year, and depending on the time of day, this whole ravine could be cast into shadows. For those of you who have ever driven along mountain passes, shadows can be dangerous. That's where you get black ice and that's where you get, uh, you get problems skidding and, and that kind of thing if you're in a car. Even more problematic if you're in Israel at that time because the temperature would drop, but also people would be hiding in the shadows, which is why this is likely to be the same spot that Jesus was stood in or sat in when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, where robbers descended uh, on the man on that road, this is likely the same place, this shadow of death, this valley, also known, very encouragingly, as the way of the blood. What a great street name. Why aren't we using that today? Oh, where do you live? I live in, you know, number 16, the way of the blood avenue. Um, you know, you don't want to live there. You don't want to be in any place that's called the way of the blood. There's nothing good about that. For obvious reasons, there's a lot of death, robbery, evil uh, that's happening in this valley. So this is why David is referring to it. If I'm walking through this valley, um, it's a very significant place and would immediately have made sense to all the hearers in a way that you and I probably doesn't make so much sense. But here's a really interesting word in this verse that doesn't actually highlight itself depending on the version that you're reading. So for those of you who learned Psalm 23 in the AV or the King James Version, the version that Jesus read, um, <clears throat> that's not true, don't quote me. Um, yea, yea, though I walk through the valley. It's not yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's, it's, it's even, even though it's connecting the previous verse to this verse. What's the previous verse? The previous verse is, paths of righteousness, that Jesus leads us as Christians into righteous paths, the right way. So here's what David is saying, and this is really important. Even though you are going in the direction that God wants you to go, you will still have paths that will lead eventually into a shadowy valley of death. So this is the answer to why do bad things happen to good people? Because they do. And now that seems awfully flippant and very shallow, but the reality is when you look at suffering, evil, death, 
persecution, things that, and this word evil, by the way, is not just evil acts. It also refers to misery, uh, depression, these kind of really poor, bad things that can happen in life. Then, then this is it's common across everybody. So I can prophetically say, rather discouragingly, but truthfully and lovingly, that if you are not going through a valley of the shadow of death right now, you will, or you have, and probably will again, because that's life. The reality is, is that if you're in grade six, or if you're in grade 853 at the end of your life, and that just makes no sense at all, because Scott, who will already be working out what grade you would be in if you're in your 90s, um, I'll leave that one with you, Scott. You can let me know at the end. Um, It doesn't matter what grade you're in or what stage of life you're in, that suffering and evil and challenge and persecution and disease, marriage problems, issues with your kids, loved ones in crisis, finance issues, whatever it might be, you choose it, they come. That is common to everybody. It might not be stuff that people think is a big deal. Because here's what's interesting about this, this picture. When you look at it from this perspective, this place looks really cool. It's going to be one of those classic Instagram photos with somebody stood on the edge. Usually, ladies, I'm just, just saying, usually like this. On the edge of a ravine, on an Instagram influencer picture. And it's like, wow, that place is amazing. Look at me as an influencer. But here's the problem with this. This perspective, you ain't in it. <laughs> You're not in the dark, in the middle of the night experiencing the evil and the death. It's easy when somebody else is going, this is just an aside, when somebody else is going through some challenge or difficult, difficulty, especially in our pull-up-by-our-bootstraps, uh, um, we can do this kind of mentality. It's easy for us to judge other people's issues and go, what's the big deal? That's not a valley of the shadow of death. Are you kidding me? It looks good to me. You think your life's tough? I mean, look at the car you drive. Look at the house you're living. Look at the situation. Look at how great your kids are. You think your life is difficult? So here's the challenge. Friends, don't judge by your perspective whether somebody else is in a valley of shadow of death. Because it's different for everybody. But they come. The persecution comes. It's universal regardless of where you live. Your socioeconomic status is universal. It has, it's not choosy. So... Persecution, evil, suffering, pain, discomfort, loneliness, all these things come commonly to everybody, also universally around the world, and, and, it's, and it's something that every one of us experiences, whether you're good or bad, depending on your definition, whether you're nice or unkind or selfish or generous, doesn't matter. It's going to come. So we have to understand how to approach it how to get through it, how to live with it, how to see purpose and hope in it. So here's what you're not going to hear from me this morning. You are not going to hear the why suffering and evil come. I've preached on that a lot. That's the beauty of being in the church for 10 years. I've spoken about the why of evil. I've spoken about why do bad things happen to good people? How can a loving God let evil things happen? I've spoken about that at length. That is not what we're doing this morning. If you want to listen to some of that, go back online, the FAQ series from a couple of years ago, we really hit that hard. What I am looking at this morning is how do you live through this? How do you get through it? Parents, those of you who have children in your life that you are influencing, 
it is so important that we teach our kids to approach life in such a way that when suffering comes, they know how to handle it. They know how to look at it. They know how to respond to it. That's what we're going to look at today because suffering is not choosy. It comes regardless of your age, regardless of your position, regardless of how great you are or not great you are. Look, at uh, and I, I don't kind of endorse all of uh, Tim Keller's teaching, but I, I tell you, it's, a lot of it is really, really good. Here's a, here's a quote I used a couple of weeks ago. No amount of money, power, planning can prevent bereavement. You know what? If I was, if I was going to add anything, I'd put age in there. doesn't matter your age either. Can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. This is the catch-all, the troubles. They're going to come. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Life is tragic. Now, as an aside, Timothy Keller is actually, and Sarah and I actually prayed for him the other day because his writings have been very impactful and, and he's a wonderful writer. He's actually going through his own crisis right now. He's, he's uh, fighting against cancer. And so I know that the way that he speaks through this, that he's living this out now. Life is tragic. So how do we handle it? Because something might happen next week that takes you, like just slams into your life at such ferocity that, that you need to know how to handle it. It's not about the why. We're going to talk about that briefly in a second. How do you handle that? It happens if you're living life really well. And I would argue that if you're living a very safe life, a life of comfort, then actually you have less valleys to walk through. This quote really blessed me. It's not Christian this week. Um, I have this on my whiteboard in my office. If everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. That really resonated with me this week. And Pete knows because of my, some of my conversations with him. Like, man, it's felt like it's out of control the last few months. Well, you know what? Maybe if, it, if everything is just super safe all the time, maybe you're not living fast enough. Thus saith the NASCAR driver, Mario Andretti. Um, Okay, let's look at this scripture. So here's what's going to happen in this verse. It's going to give us some indication as to how we live through times of challenge. So please don't shut off if life is going well right now. Because it might be tomorrow where this kicks in and you need to know this. Tomorrow. It could be this afternoon. Who knows? So let's, let's have a look. First of all, first verse I want you to notice is, though I walk through through the valley of the shadow of death. Our culture, especially in the West, really struggles with suffering and persecution. And what I mean by that is they, they, don't, know, they don't know how to deal with it. Other cultures in the world embrace it. Historically, the West embraced it. It's only in the last 50 to 70 years, especially since the Enlightenment where science apparently gives us all the answers, that, that actually suffering becomes incredibly problematic in our culture. So I said in our first week that you need to be careful what voices you're listening to in life. Which shepherd are you following? Is it a shepherd that is a good shepherd? Or is it a shepherd voice from the world or from our culture that is just leading you down paths that aren't righteous, that ultimately aren't full of rest? So here's a shepherd. This is a, this is a significant shepherd that whispers certain non-truth lies into your life that make 
pain and suffering very, very difficult to understand and very difficult to live with. And I'm going to call it the secular shepherd or the atheist shepherd. And so you might be listening online, and we have hundreds of people listening every week now at different times. You might be that skeptic, like, that. no, there's nothing spiritual. It's all material. It's all about what you can touch and see and prove. That's the classic atheist secular viewpoint. So here's the, the, here's the viewpoint towards suffering, if that's how you think. Suffering is an interruption that needs to be controlled. Because life can be controlled... You need to control life, the secular thought would be, so that it brings you happiness. That choose your life, choose what you want, choose what makes you happy, and nobody judge you. And then suddenly suffering comes, because we already see you can't control it. You get the phone call, the doctor gives you some news, somebody tells you something's happening, or something happens in your business, something happens in your child. The, The suffering comes... But you've been told, as a secular thinker, you get to control life. And then you have this uncontrollable thing that somehow you've got to conquer. It's an interruption with no purpose. No purpose, no hope. Now what? So as a pastor, I've visited many people in the hospital and many people in in crises and difficulties you know, Christmas Day, getting called in to a marriage breaking apart where somebody is being thrown out. And I, the crises, especially when it comes down to things of health, it's very interesting to see how people respond. The secular response to issues of health or, or persecution or suffering that happens to us is it's seen as an interruption, but there's no hope. There's no purpose. It's just an interruption that you've got to push through. Look at what Richard Dawkins, arguably one of the main voices, although interestingly, atheists and scientific atheists, especially atheist scientists, distance themselves from Richard Dawkins for a number of reasons that I won't go into. Again, listen to the FAQ series from a couple of years back. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference, I'd love to rip into this section. No purpose, no evil, no good. I haven't got time today. But the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. Suffering's going to happen. That's the only answer that the secular thinking has. It happens. You've got to push through it. You've got to control it. You've got to get to the other side. But here's the challenge. And I'm dwelling on this because this is a modern day thinking. And if Christians, listen, friends, families who are Christian, be careful you're not putting this into the minds of your children. Because there's a mix of Christianity and secular that's dangerous. That, that if, if this thing comes into your life, and it just is, and it's all about pushing through, what happens when you can't? What happens when you can't push through? What happens when you can't control it? What then? How are you equipping your children? How are you equipping yourself if your viewpoint is all the power you need is in you? That's secular. What happens when that person gets uh, a disease that they're not going to recover from? What happens when that car accident happens? What happens when addiction floods into your life? What happens when something happens to your kid? What happens then if all we're saying is you can do this? We need something else. Because here's the reality, and this is the irony. 
The secular thought often is exactly in the lineup with what I've said, but then will blame, ironically, God when bad stuff does happen. So I'm not going to take any notice of God at all. I think he's a load of nonsense until something happens and then I go, see, that, that makes no sense at all. Or they'll blame others. There has to be a better way. And there is. Just as a little add-on. Here's another shepherd. The prosperity gospel shepherd. Now why do I pinpoint this? Because this is a bit of a mix between secular thinking and Christian gospel thinking. It's the idea that you can control while keeping your eye on Christianity and Jesus. And Jesus himself says you can't have two masters. This is two masters. It's the mixed message of... It's up to you. And if bad things happen to you, they shouldn't be there. Suffering shouldn't happen. You know, evil shouldn't happen. You know, you say this scripture once a day, three times a minute. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and it won't happen. That's control. That's not the gospel. I mean, I could point a lot of people in the gospel, in the, in the Bible, who have gone through difficult things. Jesus included. You know, so be really careful the message that we send to our children. Don't, don't please, and it's hard, because I'm a, by, by nature, I want to control stuff. I'm a fixer. But to tell your kid that you can control and everything's in you and you've got power, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. In Christ, if it's his will, yes. Outside of Christ, in and of your own power, what happens when that doesn't happen? You're sowing guilt and shame and, and all sorts of problematic issues into their lives. So just be careful with that. So what is the better way? Even though I walk through, here's the better way. Here's the better way. Christians see, the Bible sees, Jesus sees, God sees suffering as a temporary place. That it can take time to get through, but you will get through it. Because it's just a transition to something better. In the moment, it can be a transition to something better. Eventually, it can be a transition to something better. You will get through it. It might feel like you're not even walking. It might feel like you're crawling, barely, by your fingertips, bit by bit through life. Because life is so difficult right now. But Jesus comes and says this. The Bible tells us there is purpose. There is hope. There is something in this that you can't control, but there's a better way. You will get through this. There's purpose and hope in this. See, the secular thinking has no equivalent to this. This suffering, Jesus says, does not define you. Jesus defines you. The, The ravine you're in does not define you. Jesus refines you. And so if you're a Jesus follower, you're keeping an eye on him as an apprentice, and we've been talking about that a lot. He defines it because here's the exciting... When I realized this, this blew my mind. Historians tell us that it's high likelihood that the valley that David is talking about was also part of the route to the cross that Jesus walked through. So Jesus walked through the same valley of the shadow of death that you and I walk through. And the Bible actually reinforces this. He says that we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand. We have a high priest. We have Jesus who actually went through what you went through. He went through it. He didn't get stuck in it. He's traveled it before. And he's with us. Because look at this. The shadow of death. 
the shadow of death. Not death. The shadow of death. Because Jesus has beat the snot out of death already. It's gone. Because as a Christian, you're never going to die. Your physical body will. But you will live on forever and ever and ever and ever in the new heaven and new earth. By the way, that doesn't mean that you're going to be flying around, you know, baby, naked baby angels with harps. That, that is not heaven because that sounds awful. New heaven, new earth. I preached on this a few months ago. Forever with King Jesus on the throne and a new earth. Because you think this is good? You want to do this in front of ravines on Instagram? You wait to new earth. Because this is broken earth. Imagine what new earth is going to be like. That we live forever. So Jesus beat death. So even if your valley, listen, this is, this is so important. If your valley includes untimely death, what we would say is death too young. It's not death if you're with Jesus. It's hopeless if you're without him because there's a forever connected to that as well in a whole other place. But with Jesus, you can with Paul say, you know what? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain because I get to be with Jesus anyway. So here or there, it doesn't matter because I died a long time ago. This is my new life now. That's a way better way to start teaching our kids on how to live life. That this is temporary. There's a new way coming. I don't know when, but it's temporary. Because even death is not the end. He's passed through it. Jesus beat death. And now all we have to deal with is the shadow of it. That what sin has left behind. Just the shadow. I've got to move on because I could talk about this bit for a long time. The secular thinking has no equivalent to that. All the secular thinking is... Bit of a shrug. You'll get through it. Keep fighting. You'll get there in the end. What happens if you don't? And that's a real, real issue. Jesus says, you'll get through it. It's a transition. How? How do we, how do, we do this? How do we walk through? So in a, in a previous uh, existence, it feels like now, I used to be a middle school teacher, and I really enjoyed teaching middle school. I mean, we were just chatting before, Jen and I, about the joy of middle school before they move up and realize that teacher isn't the best thing in the world. Um, that, there's, a be- there's a, just a wonderful stage where you just get to be fun with them and you teach them. And we used to take them on, um, we used to call them outdoor pursuits, which is a bit of a strange expression, but basically means you take the kids for weekends away and you do rock climbing and kayaking and all this kind of stuff. I remember we used to take our grade sixes to an adventure center and do all this stuff. So early on, when, I, when we were first married, I used to do a lot of rock climbing with my friend Phil. And so rock climbing and belaying, and it was a lot of fun. And, and I remember one particular time going rock climbing. And, uh, and those of you who have ever done it, you'll know that until you get really good, and some of these people who do rock climbing are insanely good. Um, that wasn't me. I was kind of stuck halfway up. I want to say a cliff face, but probably it was probably this height. I don't know. And, and the lactic acid had built up in your forearms and your fingers, and you start to shake, and there's pain. And you're like, I'm not going to be able to make this all the way up. I'm just not going to be able to do it. And I remember being stuck halfway up, yelling down to Phil. I, and Phil's giving direction. He's going, well, reach your left hand out here. And, and that's what you do. You help each other. And he's, he's belaying me. He's got the ropes. And so I know if I do fall, then it's not going to be so dramatic because I'd, I'd kind of clipped on and it was all good. But then I remember a car 
coming into the area. And I could see, and this amazingly good-looking couple got out. I mean, they're all ripply and glisteny and muscular, and they obviously know what they're doing. The motivation to get up there just immediately hit me, and I just, no problems at all. Because I thought pure embarrassment and pride made me climb. It was a wonderful thing. Um, But with kids... Like, I remember holding on to, like, grade six kids, and sometimes, sometimes their ankles and wrists are, like, this big. They've got no upper body strength, and they're all shaky, and they're, I want to get down, Mr. M. No, no, you can do it. Keep going. And then what you do is you cheat a bit. You just kind of go, whoop, and they go, whoop. And suddenly, they're like, whoa, like, I, I can do this. I can fly, you know, and they'd reach up, and they'd be like, oh, I'm gonna, whoop, and, and up they'd go. You see, and, and that, that is classic rock climbing with, with kids. But the thing is, is if you look at the analogy of rock climbing as being like life, then, then you'll get stuck. There'll be times when you just kind of go, I can't make this. And if you focus on the climb rather than what you know to do next, which is reach and just focus and concentrate, you, you're going to get into some trouble. Sir Edward, Edward, uh, Edmund Hillary, who was the first person in his team to climb Mount Everest, said this, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. You've got to get your attention off the mountain and onto what you know to be true. You've got to reach, you've got to get there, you've got to mentally overcome, is what he is saying there. So here's the beauty and how it attaches to us in our shadowy valleys. Jesus has walked through. All analogies fail when it comes to God, so forgive me. But Jesus isn't belaying us. He's right there with us. It's like we're attached to him. And he knows the route. And he has the power. And he has the ability. And he knows that times get difficult. But the secular thinking is, you're on your own. The Christian thinking is, he's right there. Because look at the next section. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's right there. So fear is replaced with comfort and a sense of God being near. That the fear disappears out of our life. Think of all the martyrs, the first martyr, Stephen, where he could gaze upon heaven as they're literally killing him for for faith in Jesus. Time and time again, you can read the book of the martyrs that It's unbelievable what people have gone through in faith with Jesus that they've been able to do it without fear. Where does that come from? It comes from taking our attention off the circumstance as being the sole issue and placing it upon Jesus who promises he is with us. The more we focus on the circumstance and the mountain we're climbing, the more likely that we are that lactic acid will start building up in our lives and we'll start trembling and we'll fall. We place our attention upon Jesus, then Jesus himself is the one that does the climbing. He's the one that beats Goliath. He's the one that brings victory. He's the one that beat death. And even if this circumstance does not end in the way that you hope or wish, you can be sure that even in that he will be with you and you will grow and you will be refined and you will become more and more like him. It's win-win. So you can tell your kids, You know what? It's not about you in this circumstance. It's about who you place your attention on. If you place your attention on you, my child, if you place your attention on what you bring to this circumstance, you're going to fail. You might win for a bit, but eventually you'll fail. 
You place your attention on the one who's already walked through this, Jesus himself, then you will have victory. It might not look the way that you want it to look, but ultimately it will be his way and you will grow and you will be strengthened. There will be joy in that because he promises. He promises that he will be with you. He is your helper. There's no need to fear. Again, Tim Keller said this, there is a peculiar, rich, and poignant joy that seems to come to us only through pain and suffering. For those in the room, and I know just because I know so many of you well, You've lived this out. Pain and suffering has sometimes chronically been part of your life. Chronically. Can I tell you, there's something incredible that happens in the life and the heart and the soul and the spirit of somebody that has been through that fire. You can see it in them. There's a closeness to Jesus. There's a closeness to God. There's a closeness to the one that you have paid attention to that you've not paid attention to the thing, you've not tried to control it, you've paid attention to him who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And he will help you climb. He has been through it. He has beaten death. You're in a win, 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 win circumstance, even if it hurts while you're walking it out. Even if it hurts. And approached properly, you can learn to see that suffering and evil and pain and difficulty can actually shape you and refine you and strengthen you and beautify you, that you become like the ultimate one, that you are better, stronger, and filled with a remarkable joy. And you say, Glenn, it's fine. You don't understand what I'm going through. And you're right. I don't understand what you're going through. I've been through my own stuff, but not your stuff. And it would be wrong for me to look at your ravine and go, nothing. The reality is, is that you may be feeling like you're in that shadowy valley. What I can say for sure, though, is that you place your attention on the one who ultimately will help you climb and walk. You are far more likely to get through that valley, not just in one piece, because you've tried to control your circumstances, but better, stronger. Our lovely friend, Janet, um, Courtney, Janet and Terry, Janet, the last eight months has been going through really you know, I don't want to compare valleys, but certainly been through a a valley of the shadow of death with uh, her cancer. And just walking with Janet in it, and there was um, um, months ago in December, I encouraged the church, those of you who weren't here at this point, to set watches um, at the same time every day or or alarms, so we would pray for Janet every day, and that meant a lot to her. And now she's coming to, it feels like she's coming to the out of the valley, She's just waiting for some news. It means she can come home to Kelowna. And you need to sit and listen to I'm going to have her speak one, one week. But you need to listen to her testimony. She's gone through stuff that most of us will never have to go through. This is what she wrote on Facebook this week. And I asked her permission to use it as I bring this message to an end. This is Janet speaking. My weakness, or writing, my weakness becomes a portal to your transforming power within me. And that is true for everyone who grabs a hold of that. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for every provision you have made on my behalf during these past eight months of treatment in Vancouver. In some ways, I feel like I've been here a lifetime, but even so, you have been with me in countless and beautiful ways. With every message of concern and prayers from those that have reached out to me continually through this journey, to the very practical needs from the day to day, I have experienced your very tender love and great mercy. 
What a much better lens to look at life through. Doesn't deal with the circumstance, doesn't take the cancer away, doesn't do any of that, but she's placed her attention on the one who has promised, I will be with you. That's a way better living than you're on your own. Beat it by yourself. It's a way better way. And that is the promise. So here's what I want you to do this week. I've been giving homework every week, whether it's read through Mark, a couple of chapters at a time, or go and get some silence and solitude by yourself or whatever it might be. Here's your homework for this week. I want you to practice thinking about God actually being with you. Not just here in church, But when you get in the car, he's there with you. When you go to the office, he's there with you. When you get up in the morning, he's there with you. Wherever you go, he's there with you. Right next to you. He's in you, around you. Your life is hidden in him. And start thinking about the reality. As a Christian, you can claim this, that God is with you in that circumstance and knows intimately every aspect of it. You're not alone. If you need to practice it, there's a beautiful book called Practicing the Presence of God where you turn your attention upon Jesus regularly. And, and, and there's, there's an amazing, uh, an amazing um, process that happens when you do that. Because when you go through difficulties, you tend to be forced towards that. So let's get ahead of it and start it even if you're not in a difficulty. Look at one of my, my favorite, I mean he's dead, but I would say one of my mentors and coaches and and heroes of the faith, Charles Spurgeon said this, uh, and there is a spelling mistake. I'm very confident it wasn't Spurgeon that spelt it wrong, Um, so we'll get there. This is Spurgeon. Um, I wish we could get back to the spirit of the old Puritans who believed in the present God always. Oh, to feel God in the little as well as in the great, in our risings up and our sittings down, in our goings forth and our comings in, I can conceive of no life more blessed than the one who knows and feels that God is ever present. Is that you? Do you feel the presence of God in your life? Do you feel him next to you in the valley? Do you feel him next to you when you're not in the valley? Is that a reality for you on a day-to-day basis? Because it starts on a day-to-day basis, if you put in time aside to actually be with him. Because here's what happens. This is the danger. We think we're in control. We tell everybody that we're in control. And then something bad happens. And then we frantically rush to God, try and drag him into the circumstance. And it's literally like climbing out of the ravine, forgive me for putting it this way, grabbing hold of him, dragging him back down into the ravine and saying, will you please help me? Whereas the reality is he should be with us always. Now he is omnipresent. He's always with us. But that ever-present sense of his presence where you will naturally turn to him on a day-to-day basis so that when difficulties do come, you're already there. Practice thinking about God actually being with you. On the way to work tomorrow morning, switch the radio off or whatever podcast you might be listening to and just, just pray as you go in, thank you, Lord, that you're with me. Thank you, Lord, that you're right here in, in me and around me and I'm so grateful for your presence. Pray through that. Start turning your attention towards him and I promise you that you'll start living in the reality of Jesus, the one who loves you, walking alongside you, never, ever leaving you, always protecting, always providing And he's got a staff, and he's got a rod to beat stuff and to guide you. And and 
and uh, Luke's going to talk a little bit more about that next week. He loves you. Bring him into your life. So Christian friend, maybe this is a point where you need to ask for forgiveness because you've been trying to do it all by yourself. Christian parent, maybe you've just been sowing thoughts into your kids' minds that they can do it all by themselves. Maybe it's a point of confession and maybe you have a little family meeting and say, well, what does this mean for us as a family? How do we bring God into the ever-present help of our family? And if you don't know Jesus and you're more secular in your thinking, my prayer is that you would come to him, the one who loves you, who truly is king because you're not, who truly is royal like queen because you're not, you're not in control, who actually says, Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that happens by coming to the cross, by recognizing that he died for you, for your sins, taking the punishment you truly deserve, and I truly deserve it, dying with him, and then you living in newness of life and walking alongside you. That's the promise of the gospel. And if that is you, and you're especially online, you can, you can click the connect button, or it might be down there. And somebody, somebody will actually contact you and answer any questions you might have. And we'd love to talk to you about that. And we have a baptism service coming up, September 20th. If you've not been baptized, please don't ignore one of the first commandments that Jesus gave to us, which is be baptized. Uh, so if you've not been baptized and you, know, and you know Jesus as your Savior, then September 20th, we're going to head straight down to the beach and we're going to do some good old-fashioned baptismal dunking. Do you know Mennonites used to be called the dunkers because they dunked people? So that's very historical, me saying that. So if you want to get baptized, then September 20th, uh, we've already got one or two people who are going to do that, and that would be lovely to baptize you, and, uh, and we'd love that. So I'm going to pray for you. Those of you in the room, Luke and Rachel are going to lead us in one more song, and uh, we're just going to spend some time. Then we've got the family news straight after that. But for those of you at home who are listening or listening in the week, um, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pray for you and bless you and pray you have a wonderful week. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we, uh, we're so grateful that you did everything. Lord, that we don't have to do anything other than believe in you. And then keep our attention upon you and follow after you. That, Lord, that you beat death. That, Lord, you promised that we would get through this if we know you. And that the promise is that you would forgive and you would draw close and you would fill us. And so, Lord, I pray that everybody who hears my voice online or in the room, whether it be today or some point in the future, that right now, God, that you would be speaking to them and drawing them to yourself. The Holy Spirit, you would do the work only you can do. And that, Father, that we would place our attention upon you. Father, forgive us as, as Christians who, where we've, we've tried to do a mixture of controlling and keeping our attention upon you. Lord, I pray that we would just serve one master. That, Lord, more than anything, that our lives would be dedicated to following after you. And so, God, I pray that this week, that, Lord Jesus, that you would be you would be especially close to us, drawing us into your presence. And that, Lord, that we would be people of your presence in our words, in our actions, in our comings and goings, as Spurgeon said, that, Lord, we'd be acutely aware of your closeness. So, Lord, that's my prayer for, for everybody here. And 
And God, as we, as we head into the rest of our week, we pray a special blessing on, on everybody who is in the Willow Park Church family, everybody who's listening to this, Lord. God, I pray that this week will be a week filled with your presence. We ask these in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you online. And, uh, and thanks, Luke, for, for leading us.